31 October 1517 marks a single event on a single day which changed the world forever. It marks when Professor Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses and 95 arguments on the door of the church in Wittenberg, the Schlosskirche, the castle church. It was not that Martin Luther was trying to launch a reformation. Far less was he thinking of launching a denomination. I think he'd be horrified that there's a group called Lutherans today. And he'd probably be horrified how many monuments and statues there are to him as well. He was just seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. First things first. To Martin Luther, the first thing was, he was overwhelmed by the holiness of God and the depravity of himself. He agonized of his own sinful nature. He was deeply concerned for his eternal salvation. How can a just and holy creator God allow selfish, sinful, wicked, depraved people like you and I into his heaven? How can wicked and worthless people escape the wrath of God in the lake of fire for all eternity? What must we do to be saved? How can we hope to be saved? Is there any hope at all for wicked men and women in the world? Be perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. Be holy as I am holy. We are obligated to love God wholeheartedly and we are obligated to love our neighbors ourselves. Yet which of us can say that we have ever attained such holiness or such perfection spiritually? Out of great concern for his eternal salvation, Martin Luther sought to flee from the world and to bury himself in the Augustinian monastery. In the cloister, he devoted himself to a life of the strictest asceticism. Yet despite devoting himself to eternal salvation by earning it by good works and performing the humblest of tasks cheerfully, praying, fasting, chastising himself, whipping himself literally, even beyond all the rules of his monastic order, Martin Luther was still oppressed with a terrible sense of his unworthiness, his lost condition and his sinfulness. Martin Luther's wise and godly superior, Johannes von Staupitz, recognized his great intellectual abilities and talents, and to channel his excessive introspection away from himself, he ordered him to undertake further studies for the Augustinian order, to study Greek, Hebrew and the scriptures, and become a university lecturer for the order. Martin Luther was ordained a priest in 1507, and he studied and taught at the universities of Wittenberg and Erfurt. Interestingly, when Martin Luther was ordained, he was ordained in Erfurt at a cathedral where it's required as part of your ordination post here to lie face down in cruciform format, arms to extend to the side, uh, on the stone ground in front of the altar. And uh, it just so happened that he was lying face down over the tomb of a bishop who was responsible for condemning Professor Jan Hus to death. So Professor Jan Hus, a hundred years earlier, had been burned at the stake at Constance at a church council for his early pre-work of Reformation. And you can imagine on that day um, when Jan Hus was ordered to recant and Jan Hus said, I would not for a chapel full of gold recede from the truth of God. I will gladly seal with my blood the truth that I've taught in my life. And then he made a prophecy and a joke. He said, my goose is cooked. Now the name Hus means goose in Bohemian language. He said, my goose is cooked, but a hundred years from now a swan will arise whose voice you will not be able to stifle. And that's why in Lutheran architecture you often see the swans and the goose 
and there's often a swan at the top of the steeple in many Lutheran churches because Martin Luther was seen as the swan. Well, as he was being condemned to death and made this prophecy that a hundred years from now a swan will arise, whose voice you'll not be able to sound, you can imagine that the bishop overseeing this inquisition said something like, over my dead body. Well, interestingly, a hundred years later, Martin Luther in 1507 is lying face down over the tomb of the very man who condemned the others to death. So, the swan came whose voice the Pope could not sound, and he was literally ordained over this man's dead body. Literally. God does have a great sense of humor. Martin Luther was seeking peace with God, he was seeking his eternal salvation. Now, because he had listened to his superior and he had undertaken further studies, in 1512 he received his doctoral degree. He took the traditional vow on becoming a professor at Wittenberg University. He vowed to teach and defend the Holy Scriptures faithfully. Now this vow would be a tremendous comfort to Martin Luther late in life, because Martin Luther never saw himself as a rebel. He was a theologian seeking to be faithful to the doctoral vow required of him to teach and defend the Holy Scriptures. Martin Luther committed most of the New Testament to memory and much of the Old Testament and all of the Psalms he knew off by heart. From 1513 to 1517 Martin Luther was a lecturer at the University of Wittenberg and he first lectured through Psalms where he learned what real worship is and then he lectured through Galatians from where he learned what real faith is and then lectured through Romans where he discovered what real salvation is. And he didn't recognize any of that worship, faith or salvation in the church around him or in his own heart. Now Martin Luther was a university professor and that would be a full-time job, you would think. But he had other responsibilities as well. He was also supervisor for 11 Augustinian monasteries, including the one at Wittenberg. He is responsible for preaching regularly at the monastery chapel and at the town church, the Stadtkirche, and at the castle church, the Schlosskirche, which was also the chapel for the university. It was the combination of Martin Luther's theological and pastoral concerns that led him to take the steps that led to the Protestant Reformation. In the Psalms he had learned what real worship is. In Galatians he discovered what biblical faith was. In Romans he discovered the way of salvation through the doctrine of justification based upon the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. It was in 1512 as he began to study Paul's epistle to the Romans that the verse, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's in Romans 1.17. Martin Luther testified that as he began to understand that the righteousness of God is a free gift of God's grace by which we may live by faith, I felt entirely born again and I was led through open gates into paradise itself. Suddenly the whole of scripture had a different meaning and I recounted the passages which I would memorized and I recognized that other passages too showed the work of God is what God works in us. Thus, St. Paul's words, the just shall live by faith, did indeed become for me the gateway to paradise. The burden of his sin rolled away. Up until then, Martin Luther had been trying to earn his salvation by good works, but he never thought he could do enough. Now God had spoken to him through the scripture. Man is not saved by works, but by the grace of God alone, received by faith alone. Christ alone is the head of the church. Salvation is by the atonement of Christ's blood shed on the cross of Calvary alone. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. 
Everything must be done to the glory of God alone. Solidio Gloria. As a doctor, Professor Martin Luther had taken an oath to serve the church faithfully by studying and teaching the Holy Scripture. At the university, he is responsible to prepare pastors for the ministry. Now, having experienced God's grace in Christ, having studied the Word of God, Martin Luther began to see the emptiness and the self-absorption and the past pretense and the superstitious unbelief of his previous religious devotion. And he could not fail to recognize the same pious, pharisaical fraud and futility all around him. In 1510, before being made a professor of that new university, Martin Luther had been sent to Rome for the Augustinian order. He had walked from northern Germany across Bavaria, across the Alps, into Italy. He walked all the way to Rome. He had been shocked by what he had seen in Rome. The blatant immorality, the degeneration prevalent in Rome was outrageous and scandalous, the corruption. Everything is permitted in Rome except to be an honest man, he wrote. Pope Leo X from the Medici family employed the artist Raphael and the sculptor Michelangelo to decorate the Vatican. To pay for the building of St. Peter's Basilica, Bishop Albert of Mainz, who was too young by church laws for such a position and was actually an overseer of two bishoprics, which is also against church laws, um, he has granted a special papal dispensation from Leo X to sell papal indulgences to cover past, present and future sins. The indulgence industry had become a tremendous source of income for the papacy and it's on this papal fundraising campaign that the Dominican monk and salesman, indulgence salesman in extraordinary, Johann Tetzel, came to Wittenberg. The shameless and scandalous manner in which this Tetzel hawked the indulgences outraged Professor Luther. Sales jingoes like, as soon as the coin clinks in a chest, a soul flies up to heavenly rest, was deceiving gullible people about their eternal souls. Martin Luther's study of the scripture had convinced him salvation comes by the grace of God alone. Salvation is based upon Christ's blood atonement on the cross of Calvary. It's received by faith alone. You cannot buy salvation. You cannot sell salvation. Indulgences cannot remove anybody's guilt. It can only induce a false sense of security. People were being deceived for eternity. Souls were at stake. The truth of Scripture was being twisted and ignored. The honor of God was being tarnished. He needed to make a stand for truth and to fight the good fight of faith. Concerns had been growing in him since his pilgrimage to Rome in 1510. Now led Martin Luther to make a formal public objection to abuses of indulgences. On All Saints Day, that's the 1st of November, People would be coming from far and wide in order to view with reverence the more than 5,000 relics exhibited in the Schlosskirche. The castle church had been built specifically to house the greatest collection of relics in the Christian world. His prince, Prince um, Frederick uh, of Saxony, had at great personal expense gathered together the biggest collection of relics, which is toenails and bones of different saints and a piece of bread from the Lord's Supper and wood from the true cross and nails that pierced Christ's hands and feet, um, uh, literally milk from the Virgin Mary, all sorts of things were claimed of this indulgence collection. If you reverenced all the relics in this Schlosskirche, you could get 1,900,000 days of purgatory, and uh, years of purgatory, I should say. And Martin Luther nailed his 95 arguments against indulgences and superstitions and unbiblical practices of the church on the church door. This is practical. Tomorrow people are going to be coming to this venue to 
commit basically blasphemous sacrilege and superstitious futility. And so he's warning people about this with the 95 arguments on the church door. He wrote them in Latin expecting scholars to debate them. But enterprising journalists took these down, translated them into German, got them printed and sold them all over Europe. And soon, within a matter of days, all of Germany had read the 95 Theses in their own language. So journalists helped spark the Protestant Reformation. As the Reformation Museum in Wittenberg uh, declares, there's a, a mon there's a printing press and it says, the printing press, the reformer's friend, the tyrant's foe. Indeed, the printing press made possible the Reformation. Earlier reformers, pre-reformers like Wycliffe and Huss had failed because they didn't have the printing press. Martin Luther not only had the printing press, he mastered it. There was a time that 80% of all the printed works in the world were Martin Luther's writings. Martin Luther, in a sense, is the world's first journalist. He's the first one who was able to use a mass medium to impact an entire nation. And so, a phenomenal uh, achievement. The church's true treasure is the gospel of Christ, he wrote. The Roman Catholic papacy had devalued the gospel and had neglected the word of God. They were building a massive jungle of superstitious tradition and parasitical fraud with empty religious rituals. And the 95 Thesis begins with the words, Since our Lord and Master Jesus Christ says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He wants the whole life of a believer to be a life of repentance. No sacrament can take away our responsibility to respond to Christ's command by repentance. And this repentance should be evident in an outward change and an inner transformation, a renewal of our entire life. God alone can forgive sins. Indulgences are a fraud. It's far better to give to the poor than to waste your money on indulgences. If the Pope really has power over souls suffering in purgatory, why doesn't he simply release them out of pure Christian charity? Why does he need filthy lucre to do it? The entire Roman Catholic sacramental system is a distraction and it's a deception. The 95 Theses created such a sensation that within weeks they were being printed and read throughout Germany and then soon throughout the whole world. Within a month, translations were printed and sold all over Europe. Even the Pope received a copy. The printing press played the key role in mobilizing the Reformation, which is why in the year 2000, when it was being voted on who's the man of the millennium, many agreed that uh, Johannes Gutenberg, the first printer, the man who invented the printing press, was the man of the millennium, because without the printing press, could you even imagine the information age or the scientific revolution or anything that we live in today? So in some ways, Johannes Gutenberg was the man of the millennium, although Martin Luther was in the top ten of the people being considered as well. And I'd say he also is one of the greatest men of all of history, certainly one of the most courageous. In 1517, there were 24 printing centers in Europe. Soon, there were more than those number of printing presses just in Wittenberg. Martin Luther's works dominated the market, and he was the most popular best-selling author in all of Europe. Professor Martin Luther could be described as a pastor and a preacher, a professor and a teacher, a theologian, a composer and a reformer. But perhaps his greatest achievement was translating the whole Bible into German. With his New Testament in German, published in September 1522, it created a sensation. 5,000 copies were sold in the first two months alone. And when you think of the printing press of those times, which was one page at a time, and putting in the printing letters back to front and so on for printing, and how much work it was just to set a single page, 
nothing like our life of plates offset printing or desktop publishing of today. 5,000 copies is a lot of work to get printed, let alone sold. And yet uh, Martin Luther was able to produce the Bible, the New Testament, available for a week's wages. So you, it would take you, before the printing press, a year's wages, probably two years wages to earn a single Bible when it was handwritten, hand copied. But the printing press made possible to buy a New Testament for a week's wages. And almost everyone in Germany read or listened to Luther's translation being read. And Martin Luther's translation inspired similar translation of the Bible into local languages in Holland, Sweden, Iceland, Denmark and England. And one of the many ways that Martin Luther left his mark is before Luther there was no uniform arrangement as to how the books of the Bible were placed. Martin Luther arranged the Bible books in the order that they are placed in our Bible and we still adhere to it today because of William Tyndale who is one of his disciples. Luther's translation guided William Tyndale's translation of the Bible into English, so he's influenced us in many ways. Martin Luther has been described as the world's first great journalist because his writings succeeded in changing history. He wrote in a common language instead of just in the scholarly Latin. Latin was only understood by a small educated elite of society. Martin Luther mastered the use of the broadside pamphlet, which were cheap to print and easy to read. So he fitted his message to fit the medium. The amount of space that you could print in, in one page back to back, that's what he made his message fit. And he had those arranged so that his message always fitted the medium. And he made use of the finest illustrations of woodcuts at that time to give illustrations that people could understand. Uh, the woodcuts were um, woodcut carvings of illustrations that you could then stamp into ink and then put on the page. And therefore they were able to replicate uh, this um, image. By the end of his ministry, Martin Luther had written over 60,000 pages of printed books, more than 400 titles, including commentaries, sermons, pamphlets, which attacked Catholic superstitions and abuses and promoted biblical doctrines. At the first exhibit in the Geneva Reformation Museum, it declares that the printing press is the reformer's friend, the tyrant's foe. And the printing press provides a spiritual weapon needed to make the Reformation succeed. Ecclesia reformata reformanda est. The church having been reformed must still be reformed. The work of reformation is never over. Professor Martin Luther quoted the church father St. Augustine Latin, Ecclesia semper reformata est. The church must continually be reformed, go on being reformed. We must continually re-examine ourselves in order to maintain purity of doctrine and practice. So, today, 31st of October, Reformation Day, if Martin Luther was here today with us in Frontrup at the Hugo Museum and Monument, what do you think he might say to us today? We don't need to guess, we actually have his writings available. I've got all the writings and sermons of Martin Luther on our shelf, and what I'm going to say from here on is taken word for word from Martin Luther's own writings. What would Martin Luther say to us today? Fear God, do not fear man. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. Study the Bible. Have your conscience captive to the word of God. Popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. Your conscience must be captive to the word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against your conscience. Study the word of God. Stand on the unchangeable word of Almighty God. Pray the Psalms. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is a strong wall and a fortress of the church. It is a goodly Christian weapon. Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure of the church. 
Beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. It is one of the most magnificent, delightful presents that God has ever given us. Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection not only in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. It's the true nature of things. If we rightly consider, every green tree is more glorious than if it was made of gold and silver. Faith is a daring, living confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it 8,000 times. I'm much afraid that schools will prove to be wide gates to hell, unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures, engraving them in the hearts of youth. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not constantly occupied with the Word of God must become corrupt. Ensure your children receive a Bible-based education. Show your loyalty by fighting where the battle rages the fiercest. If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God's word except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, then I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing him. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldiers proved. And to be steady on all the battlefront besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. For where God builds a church, there the devil will build a counterfeit. I am not bound by the opinions of men. Peace, if at all possible. Truth, at all costs. A simple layman, armed with the scriptures, greater than the mightiest pope without scripture. God will pave the streets of hell with the skulls of apostate bishops and cardinals. Grant that I may not pray alone with the mouth. Help me that I may pray from the depths of my heart. The fewer the words, the better the prayer. God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. Pray like it all depends on God. Then when you've done all that you can, go and work like it all depends on you. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. The less I pray, the harder it gets. The more I pray, the better it gets. Music is the art of the prophets and the gift of God. As long as we live, there's never enough singing. My heart, which is so full to overflowing, has often been solaced and refreshed by music when sick and weary. Deny yourself, take up your cross. I'm more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and of his cardinals. I have within me the great Pope, self. Beware of selfishness. God created the world out of nothing, so as long as we are nothing, he can make something out of us. When Satan tells me I'm a sinner, he comforts me immensely, since Christ died for sinners. A Christian is never in a state of completion, but we're always in a state of becoming. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Show me where man spends his time and his money, and I will show you what God he really worships. Even if I knew that the world would tomorrow go to pieces, I would plant another apple tree today. The world does not want to be corrected. It wants to remain in darkness. It loves the darkness. It doesn't want to be told that what it believes is false. If you, also want to be, if you do not want to be corrected, then you might as well leave the church and spend your life at the bar and the brothel. But if you want to be saved, remember there is another life after this one. You must accept correction. The Bible is a remarkable fountain. The more one draws and drinks of it, the more it stimulates thirst. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold on me. The Word of God is greater than heaven and earth. He is greater than death and hell. For the Bible forms part of the power of God and it endures everlastingly. A gospel that, that does not deal with the issues of the day is not the gospel at all. You are not only responsible for what you say, you are responsible for what you do not say. Stand up for the truth. 
speak out for God, fight the good fight of faith. Always preach in such a way that if people listening to you do not come to hate their sin, they will hate you instead. A lie is like a snowball. The further you roll it, the bigger it becomes. They gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do you hope for a crown of roses? A simple man with the scriptures more authority than popes or councils. Unthankfulness is theft. Give the law to the proud. Give the gospel to the brokenhearted. It is impossible for a man to remain single without sin. Marriage is the true school of character. You can learn more in one year of marriage than you could learn in ten years in any college. There is no more loving, friendly and charming relationship, communion or company than a good marriage. Feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are deceptive. My warrant is the word of God. Naught else is worth believing. There is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I will trust in God's unchanging word till body and soul sever. For though all things pass away, His word will stand forever. We do not become righteous by doing good deeds, but by having been made righteous, we will do righteous deeds. The prosperity of our country depends not upon the abundance of our revenues, nor upon the strength of its fortifications, nor upon the beauty of its public buildings. It consists in the number of its cultivated citizens, in the people of education, enlightenment and character. Nothing is more beautiful in the eyes of God than a soul who loves to hear God's word. Now, those are all words from Martin Luther's. Let me summarize. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. The Reformation set about storing biblical principles to all areas of life. This is God's world. We need God's word to be obeyed in every area of life. Is your conscience captive to the word of God? Is your desire to obey God promptly and sincerely, with your whole heart, a flame in the hand of God? We need doctrinal steel in our backbones. We need Holy Spirit fire in our hearts. May God fill us and empower us with His Holy Spirit to be faithful to His Word, the Bible, to be effective in His service, seeking first the kingdom of God, making disciples of all nations, teaching obedience to all things that the Lord has commanded. May the examples of the Reformers inspire us to go back to the Bible, to love God wholeheartedly, to fear God alone, to work for biblical reformation, and to pray for spiritual revival in our hearts and our homes, as well as in our congregations and our communities. We need revival in our country and in our continent, Africa for Christ. May God find us faithful to His Word and effective in His service as we work for biblical reformation and pray for spiritual revival. Ecclesia Reformanda, Reformanda Est. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gracia, Sola Fidi, Solus Christus, Soli Dio Gloria. Semper Reformata. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for the Reformation. We thank you for Professor Martin Luther. We thank you for the Reformers and for the generations that were faithful to your word. We pray, Lord God, that you'd raise up a new generation of those who love you and love your word and fear you alone and do not fear the world so that we can be faithful and effective in our callings, whether in journalism, in evangelism, in teaching. Help us, Lord God, as parents. We pray, Lord God, that you'd help us, whether we are called to be um, faithful students of your word or effective businessmen in community that we would be honest, honourable with our Protestant Christian work ethic guiding us every day to bring glory to you by the simplest things done in honour to you and applying your word to all areas of life. We pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.